Welcome to the 54th episode of the Real Life Diabetes Podcast. And we are back with Trish Winters, and we've got some exciting announcements. Tell me, sugar mama, what's your A1C? Are you into endocrinology? Pricker is a pricker and the pumping is pumping. Beats like Wilford Brimley keep coming, but officer, I ain't been drinking. My blood sugar is low. Bolo some insulin to get it all in, you know. I'm counting carbs and my calories burning. Pricker to the finger to deliver the prick. Wake up tomorrow and it starts again, but... So it's been a while since we've been on the show, and we uh, appreciate everyone. Hopefully, you, when, when you're listening to this, you've downloaded it and are thinking, where the hell have you guys been? Well, as I've been putting all over social media, we've been going through a lot of changes. And so we wanted to wait for the right opportunity to announce what's going on, and then episode 55 will shift in kind of a di- little bit of a different, different angle. So um, first announcement... We'll start with Ryan Fightmaster, my beloved co-host and co-founder of Diabetes Daily Grind, has moved on to greener pastures and or should we say the California coast. So as everybody's known throughout the course of this show that Ryan was in medical school and was kind enough to make enough time out of his busy schedule to be a part of everything. And he's still an incredible diabetes advocate and um, a walking science project and still open. And I hope that he'll come back on the show uh, at some point once he get his life, his life settled in with his new residency. So we wish him the best and we'll be sure to give you updates in the near future. Um, we have a lot more announcements towards the end as to how we're going to be moving forward and how you can get more involved. But we're going to leave that as a little bit of a cliffhanger to the very end. So you have to listen or fast forward, whatever's your whatever floats your boat. So we're back with Trish Winters and she was a part of episode 17. And I think we titled it something like CSI crime scene because she has two young boys, both with type one diabetes. And we um, touched on her type of management and their diagnosis and stuff. And so her life has changed. The boys lives have changed and um, their T1D management has changed. And so we're going to just chit chat about what's going on in her life right now. So welcome to the show, Trish. <laughs> so we're back in my living room, sipping a little Chardonnay and catching up. And so tell us a little bit about what's been going on in your diabetes world. So the boys now are nine and five. So <sighs> yeah, they're growing. And it just amazes me how um, the more they grow, the more things change as far as care goes mm-hmm. and whatnot. Um, you know, it's getting easier. I can say with my nine-year-old, it's actually getting easier. He is kind of grab the bull by the horns and is taking care of himself. My youngest, he's probably gonna be 35 and I'm probably still going to be checking his blood sugar. That's just his personality. He's just ridiculous. So, um, but they're doing great. Um, we have switched to, I think when we were on last time, they were on the pings. Now we're on the pods and we're actually (laughs) getting ready to get, um, on the 670 G's. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's kind of exciting, but I'm love the Libre. So we have started the Libre at the, back in December Mm -hmm. on the boys. And it's just amazing. Within a month, my oldest son who has had type one for over six years at that point, the calluses were starting to go away on his fingers. So it's just those little things that I think make such a big difference in the treatment of type one. So, and you know, um, the Libre, didn't that, was it, did it was approved? Well, for maybe for people with type two Mm -hmm. in January of this year, Is, is that right? 
I believe I, it, it, it hit. The, it, I know that it hit the market. I think December was when it hit the market okay. in the U.S. But you guys have been um, a part of a trial. But we were part of a trial um, in early 2017 where they had us and we had the Libre, the Dexcom, and then we were checking, you know, doing the regular mm -hmm. finger pricks with our um, Omnipod. And then they compared the graphs and I was just blown away at how accurate the Libre was. So I had actually been in Europe in April and stocked pharmacies in Italy trying to bring some Libres home for my boys, but we were unable to do that. So as soon as they were available, our doctor wrote an off script um, mm -hmm. prescription and we got the boys on the Libres and we haven't looked back. I mean, they might get their fingers pricked maybe 10, 12 times a month now. That it's is incredible. so incredible. And let me yeah. ask you this because of course on all the social media groups and in the DOC um, as a whole, one of the things that you've heard is, you know, the device is great, but it's a, it's a 12 hour, uh, what is it called? Calibration. Calibration. Yeah. It doesn't bother us. I mean, we just look at it like, you know, at least we're not having to calibrate multiple times a day. We um, we typically change at night, so that way, you know, by oh, nine yeah. a by nine a.m. they're they're checking again. Um, I've never been the person that has um, hyper managed the boys. I guess you could say mm -hmm. I have a lot of anxiety issues, and I realized that that early on with my boys, I had to let go of that because I was I. I couldn't manage my own anxiety. So, um, mm. so for us, it's not a big deal where for other people that do, you know, are keeping an eye on their kids, blood sugars, 24 hours a day, I can see how that would be a struggle. Mm. But for us, you know, we just, I will still, you know, wake up in the middle of the night and check them on those nights mm -hmm. that we calibrate. But I mean, it's three times a month. It just doesn't, doesn't bother me at all. Well, let me ask you too, because you said Tyler is now managing his yes. diabetes for the most part. Does mm -hmm. he put on his own sensor? Okay, we don't do that. We still put the sensors on, but day-to-day -day management, um, we let, he takes care of, unless he just doesn't want to, because I, our theory is he's going to have to live with this disease for the rest of his yes, life. Yes, My journey with this disease is going to be short. Yeah. So I am willing to, when he doesn't want to check his blood sugar, when he doesn't want to you know, give himself insulin. I'm happy to step up, but at school he really has like latched onto the responsibility and likes that and is really proud of himself. And let's talk so. about that just a little bit. Cause we, we spoke about this a little bit earlier, everything that's going on right now in the state of Oklahoma with the teacher walkouts and stuff, your school has done an amazing job with his diabetes management. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that we're going to talk about this today because I feel like this is where parents need to really find a way to empower themselves. Mm -hmm. Like we have to learn the laws. Laws are different in every state. Um, we are very fortunate in Oklahoma that our laws protect our kids and we have a lot of flexibility with how our children are cared with in school. Um, other states are not like that. Hmm. Um, but you know, to learn the laws and know, like um, my boys never have to leave the classroom for care. I mean, if you can imagine how many times a child could possibly have to miss out on curriculum because of blood sugar issues, it's ridiculous to think that we need to make them walk to an office to either visit a nurse or visit a um, secretary to check their blood sugar. Mm -hmm. I mean, another thing that um, I think is are a lot of issues that I've heard where kids aren't even able to carry their supplies on them. We're actually laws are where our kids should have to be able to keep their supplies on them at all times. Well, and, and let's not out this um, specific school district here in Oklahoma, yes. but tell about the fact that the CGM rule. Oh, absolutely. Um, they, there's a school district, a very large school district that uh, the head nurse actually came out and said that you cannot have CGMs in the classroom because they're disruptive, which is insane. I will find out who this person is. 
<laughs> I'll encourage her to be on a podcast. Give us the reason why. You I mean, really, because I think that is absolutely ludicrous, especially considering the fact that if that kid has a high or a low, that it's going to stop the classroom versus a beeping every once in a while. So you take a sugar, you know, mm-hmm. tablet is just blows my mind. Yeah. And we're talking about a five, six, seven year olds in a classroom. Why would we not want to have every bit of every medical device that we could to help manage and you know maintain their blood sugar so we avoid a catastrophic event? It's just incredible. I mean, not to mention the fact that it's highly illegal. A 504 document, which I, I, every parent I tell, I don't care how old your child is, you need to get a 504 in place. Type 1 diabetes falls underneath the categories that, you know, 504 should be allowed. It is a legal binding document. You may never have to use this document, but if you do, it's on your side and you've got to do it. I mean, even things like you can put in your 504 plan that if, you know, absences Mm -hmm. that you can't get counted against them. I mean, I've had a situation where Tyler missed like 15 days of school. He would have been held back had it not been for his 504 plan because of truancy. Yeah. Then you have issues of, you know, taking tests while high or low, where you could avoid having to, you know, take tests while you're high or low. So it's really important. I mean, even bathroom breaks and having water bottles in the classroom. Mm -hmm. I mean, you all know when you hit, you know, threes, four hundreds, how thirsty you are. Can you imagine trying to listen to a teacher and retain that information while you're incredibly thirsty and you have to urinate constantly. So and I think about when you say stuff like that, because when I was a kid, you know, I didn't know anybody with diabetes. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know anybody was any different, but like, wh- look, I mean, just my God, what I went through and I mm-hmm. only tested my blood sugar twice a day, which was, and I lied about that mm-hmm. before I gave my shot. No, I don't even think I did that. Um, like I never had to take anything to the classroom. Mm-hmm. ever yeah and for somebody to say you can't mm-hmm. i mean the only time that i ever dealt with a nurse or a secretary was whenever my blood sugar was i could feel it go low and i'd mm-hmm. be like they'd give me some peanut brittle brittle yeah. so i'm so thankful that kids have a little bit more of a voice now or that you have as a parent or mm-hmm. the technology is available i don't know yeah. I think it's. I think a lot of it goes back to um, empowering yourself with knowledge. Really, um, you'll look up your state laws. Really, try to understand the federal laws. And people can feel free to email me. I have resources on all of that. And then just finding a way to create a middle ground between yourself and the school mm-hmm. so that your child is safely taken care of and also has access to school like every other child does. I mean, but there, there's just horror stories. I mean, especially if you have older kids that can self care for themselves, mm-hmm. they absolutely can self care in the classroom. I have, um, I was talking to a parent in a large school district in Oklahoma where the son, all of his stuff was still in the um, nurse's office. He couldn't self care in the room. He told the teacher he was low, so he had his little buddy that would walk with him low. They get halfway down the hall, and the teacher says, hey, come here, I need to talk to you. So they walk all the way back down the hall, and the teacher said to him, hey, how far along do you think you'd be if I hadn't called you back? And laughed. Oh, my God. And had him go back. I mean, I can't even imagine what could have happened if it was a true, very bad low. So I think it's just empowering yourself to know the laws and then finding the middle ground with the school district Mm -hmm. and not don't go in with a chip on your shoulder. When you have these conversations, just go in very open um, to, you know, what their concerns are. And, and let's be honest, most of those people are probably not educated as to what, you know, the, what a big of a disability this can be, especially at that age. And so 
Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Have a meeting with all of your kids' teachers. Every teacher needs to know. Our school district is absolutely amazing. It's, and I'll say it, it's Tuttle Public Schools <laughs> in Oklahoma. We are a very small school district. And they literally sit down with me every single year and they say, what can we do to make this easy for you? They take care of all the care in the classroom. They've even had me come in and talk to all the teachers on an in-service day about type 1 diabetes. Everyone in the school is aware of what my children go through, and they are there to help him, them and make it easier for them. And I'm just so thankful mm -hmm. that we are in that situation because there are a lot of horror stories out there. And um, I, I'm very passionate about this topic yeah. because it really... It just bothers me what is happening. And a lot of times it's because the school districts don't understand the laws. In mm -hmm. fact, in Oklahoma alone, the laws changed in 2014 in favor of the type 1 diabetic in the classroom. So mm -hmm. a lot of schools just aren't aware of that. Okay, well, let's talk about that. So pushing into the fact, and one of the reasons I wanted to bring you back on, because there's so much right now going on in local government and then our... God, I'm going to sound really uneducated, but everything that's going on in the political climate in the United States of America. And so you have been in Washington, D.C. recently. Yes. And let's talk about the Diabetes Caucus. Okay. So um, I'll kind of actually start out with, um, you know, grassroots advocacy. One of the things that I think is just amazing about the diabetes community is that we are all very active, all very active, all very connected. And we all, a lot of us have a voice. And when we all, the, the bigger our numbers get, the louder our voice is. Mm -hmm. There is something called the Special Diabetes Program. This is the SDP. SDP, yes, you'll see for that a lot. It's $150 million a year that goes directly to the National Institute of Health to fund research for type 1 diabetes. This was started in 1997, and every two years it has been approved. Doesn't matter if it was a Democrat in office or a Republican in office. They're approving this. The Diabetes Caucus at our federal level is the largest caucus in the country. And we have support from, it's probably, of anything, we probably have the most bipartisan support of most any, um, you know, rider that's put into a bill. Mm. Um, people really, you know, our, our um, sen senators and excuse me, representatives really support this. I've had a couple glasses of wine, folks, so you <laughs> well, have to so, bear with me. <laughs> well, and I'm an edu educated when it comes, and I will say that I'm embarrassed with the fact of my level of governance of this country, so take that into consideration as well. <laughs> oh, hey, well, and I'm not an expert by any means. I just have a loud voice, so. <laughs> but so basically this year it was in jeopardy, and through grassroots efforts, we were able to mobilize and have over 300,000 emails sent to senators and representatives asking them to support this um, special diabetes program, because if we lose this money, research will stop. Once a research study stops, those scientists leave and go find work somewhere else. Yeah. So it puts us years, decades behind if we, if these if we lose this money. So it's imperative to have this money. So um, you know that's where us becoming advocates is so incredibly important to find your voice and to use your voice. I think mm -hmm. we all have a story. It's just finding a way to get comfortable to tell our story and to tell it to anybody we can. Right. It's all about education. It is. Absolutely. Well, and, and it, some of the things we talked about earlier, too, in talking points, Teddy, 
Describe what TED is. Absolutely. So um, SDP funds um, just an astronomical amount of research studies, but one of the ones that I find the most interesting is something called the Teddy Study. It's been going on for probably, gosh, don't quote me on years, but I want to say 20-ish years, and it's almost to the completion. And we have millions upon millions of pieces of data because they've taken kids from the time that they were born and have followed them. And or have accumulated all sorts of data from every time they've been sick, what they were eating, you know, even, you know, how many times they were going to the bathroom as a child, mm-hmm. all of these things. So they have all these little pieces of data that they've put together. And out of the, you know, I think it was a little over 400,000 kids that they started with, um, I think about 4,000 ended up having some sort of autoimmune. And I think around 700 ended up having type one. I might be off on my numbers. I should have brought my cheat sheet, but, um, through this study and following following them, some of the things that they already have are are realizing that some of the things that we thought before may not be true. Hmm. Like it may not be true that milk, you know, that milk causes type one, or that if you had breastfed, mm-hmm. then you would have prevented type one. But one of the things that they've found is that vitamin D deficiency is linked. Could and be there's a link so many one. studies out there right now about this. Yes. So this study, um, it will be wrapping up, and then there is so much data that it's going to be. Have, they're going to have to compute the data from IB, um, IBM Watson computer. Mm-hmm. And what we're hoping at that through this is we're going to find the triggers. What are the triggers? What are the factors? in you know the causing type one so this is this is monumental this is a huge study so and something you said earlier too is that there are because we talked about and we'll shift into this year shortly about the type 2 diabetes community and i said something along the lines of man there are really five plus different types of diabetes because i had never met anybody that had type one that had been diagnosed as an adult and so you said there's five different types of type one. Yes, they actually the researchers have recently found that there are five different types of type one with all um, varying like pancreatic function. So you know when we say like oh our pancreas does nothing, well our pancreas actually still does kick out a little bit, and mm-hmm. some people's kicks out a lot. I mean I know a lot of you have probably had times where you're like. Why are my blood sugars like perfect? They shouldn't be perfect. What's going right. on? Where you need very little insulin. That's when your your pancreas is kicking up. And then mm-hmm. you might run into people. I know that I've run into adults that are like, oh, I just need X, like, you know, six units for this meal. I'm like, oh my gosh, my kids need 12 for that meal. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that's just, that's kind of how the differences come because of how the output, how, what kind of function your pancreas has. And from what um, they um, researchers had discussed was, that, you know, typically the people that are diagnosed, you know, at very young ages, like my boys, you know, two and a half and one, um, they are the ones that have the least pancreatic function. So they are probably the toughest, will have the tougher, you know, types of type one. And I wonder if that'll shift. Yeah. I mean, as they get older Mm -hmm. and the regimen becomes a little, and let's be honest, we all know we've preached this time and time again, you can do the same damn thing every day and something, it's going to be completely different and in your numbers. And so I wonder if, because they're that type and Mm -hmm. where I'm probably the second type, because I Mm -hmm. diagnosed at age eight, Mm -hmm. would that outcome be, will their outcome be different? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. Um, Oh, and then, you know, another thing too, another really exciting thing to me is that's coming about is the stages of type one. So we are now trying to now recognizing that there are three stages of type one with varying, um, varying antibodies. Um, are we talking about trial net? 
Yeah, this is this is actually going into trial net, but um, so the the stages of type one. What 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 we're trying to do by having stages of type one is so doctors will start diagnosing earlier. earlier right. In fact, there's a town in there's a place in Germany where every single child is getting screened for type one diabetes antibodies right now, and that's brilliant. It is. It's brilliant. So they're hoping through that research study that it's something that we can adopt all across the U.S. and catch it earlier. So now, you know, now we're going into trial net. So if we have doctors that are testing for these antibodies at a very young age, and we say, oh my gosh, they have one or two antibodies. Well, let's get them into trial net. Um, trial net right now, um, there, you know, there was the oral, there's oral insulin that's going on right now. Um, I know of a, um, someone that was, had antibodies, he had two antibodies, went into trial net, was taking the oral insulin, Throughout the process, had went up to three antibodies, and then when they when he finally phased out because he turned 18, he was back down to two antibodies, and still to this day does not have type one. And this is about seven eight years we're talking. Wow, just incredible. Um, there's another I met an eight, an eight year old girl here in Oklahoma that um, her dad has type one, and um, she recently found out that she had antibodies, and they decided to get into trial net, and so she goes down to Dallas to be a part of trial net. Um, I think they went down, you know, I think was it every other week for the first six weeks. And now she just goes down, um, once a month and they, um, they formulate this drug specifically for her. I mean, what the hopes is, is to prevent, prevent or hold off. I mean, I think about when my youngest was diagnosed, they told us, okay, you're probably going to have six months before he truly has type one, which he was actually within two weeks, full-blown type one. But I think even to get an extra year of life without type mm -hmm. one is just incredible to me. I mean, when, when Tanner was diagnosed, I remember just thinking, I just want to make it to Christmas. He was diagnosed on December 10th and thinking, I just want to make it to Christmas so I don't have to give my child a shot on Christmas. And he made it till New Year's. So, you know, it's just, so to give give a child that gift of one more, six more months, one more year, two more years. That to me as a parent is so incredibly important. Oh, and so you know, incredibly well, important. As the show continues to evolve, um, maybe we bring trial net on to talk about actually what that looks like. Yes. Because I think if more parents, cause I like my sister, I don't know that she listens to the show. I have two nephews. Well, I would really like for her to, get the boys tested, but mm -hmm. she doesn't want to. And I'm thinking, man, if you could prevent them from having this, mm -hmm. man, do it. Absolutely. Or prolong, like you said, yes. I mean, because they're predestined or they could be. So yes. it's just frustrating. It is. And you know, I, I acknowledge is power. I know that's kind of cliche to say, but, and I know that it can also be very scary to think about, you know, knowing what the future could be. But, you know, with all the research that's out there, the studies that are out there, do it. And plus, we need the data. And they're we, not paying us to say this. I'm going to say that right off the yeah, bat because we're no. about to have sponsors. But no. this is like speaking from the heart. Yeah. No one pays me to do anything, unfortunately. Well, except for We've, my I'd job. I'd be rich. So. If I, that, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I should get a sponsor for you, like a wine sponsor or something. That would you be. You know what? <laughs> we would take a wine sponsor. We need to find this. that. So um, we, let me think about something for a second. <laughs> Wine sponsor, period. I'm on it. Yeah. So now that we're talking about wine, something that's been brought to my attention a lot lately to the point of, and I'll maybe put this in the show notes, uh, well, what is it called? The uh, tea towel was given to me 
by one of the members where I work. Um, it was all about setting the bar high, but as long as I can reach my wine. And I guess I've been brutally honest for most of my adult life about how much I enjoy wine. But then I really started to break it down. And what does that glass or three glasses of wine mean to me? And with the stress of an adult life, and now that I'm in my 40s and trying to lose weight, what is the importance of that wine? And how does it come back to my diabetes? And so I'll say two things to that, and then we can talk about it from somebody who doesn't have diabetes. But as if you're an adult and you're listening to this, we all have our coping mechanisms or whatever that may be. And for me, after a stressful day, and then I work out, and then I look at my diabetes daily grind stuff and whatever, the first thing I want to do is pour myself a glass of wine, and it's become a ritual. And it's just like writing in your journal or the first thing that you do is brush your teeth. And so I'm saying this out loud as kind of as an affirmation or uh, I don't know what, but I've guilted myself a really long time because I've been told as someone with diabetes and you know being in uh, the wellness lifestyle that that's frowned upon. I felt guilty and I sh I've shamed myself for the, you know, my life when it comes to that. And today I release that. I think everything in what I'm reminded of daily from the demographic that I work with all age 50 and beyond is that enjoy your life, pour that glass of wine, don't drink two bottles or, you know, do whatever, just don't stress yourself out. You're harming yourself more. This is not medical. And this is just me saying this personally and spiritually. You're harming yourself more by hating yourself, feeling guilty about something, than you are about having that glass of wine. So Trish, a mom of two type ones, I'm sure that you enjoy the same. I'm going to pour my glass of wine because I'm stressed out. Yeah, they pretty much know me at the liquor store. And wine <laughs> is definitely my vice too. And I've gone through the same thing. I just turned 40 this year and I keep thinking, you know, gosh, really, should I be doing this? I'm feeling guilty. I mean, I don't take it to extreme, but I, I have that same ritual in the evening after I put my kids to bed and dealt with diabetes and dealt with work and dealt with everything. I just want something to help me unwind and calm me down. So I too have been in the process of letting go of this guilt of wine, but I just, I like it. I work out. I eat right. I meditate. I, I meditate yeah. in the daytime to relieve that stress so that I'm not like ping-ponging off the walls with stress. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's one of those, it's one of the tools mm -hmm. in your tool belt. That's the way I look at it, is that it, it helps just calm me down. I think that I, I can't imagine what it's like to be living with type one and to be living with type one, you know, as long as a lot of you out there have mm -hmm. been. Um, I'm just trying to be a pancreas for two little boys. And it's so incredibly stressful. And I think that we all need to find our way to unwind. And if a glass of wine helps you unwind, I don't have a problem with it. You know, even with working out, working with a personal trainer, I hadn't read anything, but I never did any research about the fact that with certain types of strength training and things like that, my blood sugar is going to plummet immediately. But then the next day, it's going to be high. I mean, and I'm like, what the hell is that about? You know, that doesn't make any sense. So whether it's drinking your wine or working out or whatever, um, the technology that is currently available is, is can really change your life. And um, I want to say moving forward, too, because we're going to be talking a lot more with some of those companies at, and how we, as diabetes advocates, parents, and those of us with the disease, are going to really have more of a voice is my goal because 
what they're putting out is great, but how can we fine tune that to better fit our, our, what we need? And so, yeah. I love what you said about finding your voice because um, it's really interesting the way that I remember when I was younger in my early 20s, I had a lot of passion. I was a passionate person. I just, about anything I was passionate about. And then I kind of lost it. And it's crazy to me that, you know, my, my oldest son was diagnosed at two and a half. And then it took the diagnosis of my second child at one, two years later for me to find this fire and passion. So for something that is just, you know, devastated me as a parent, because we all want healthy, perfect children. Mm -hmm. So it was devastating. I understand that it could be worse. Like I understand that. But for me personally, it was devastating. But through that devastation, I found my voice and I found my purpose and passion again. And I just want to empower people to find their voice and to speak and talk to anybody you can and get comfortable with your type one diabetes story Mm -hmm. because we can change the world. And we, in my opinion, we are changing the world. It's pretty crazy. I mean, it is crazy. I mean, when you think about over 300,000 emails were sent on one small portion of a bill to get that bill passed and it was passed It's just incredible to me. It's incredible to me um, the impact that we can have on people's lives. And it doesn't have to be on a grand scale. It can even Mm -hmm. just be one person in your community that needs some support. And to find that person, to find that parent, um, even connecting your children with each other, um, starting at a young age so kids don't have to be shamed Mm -hmm. and feel shame about this disease. Like, let's help empower our kids. Well, and I, I think, you know, with everything on the diabetes online community, the DOC, mm-hmm. you see people, because I'm on so many different groups, is that, hey, is anybody in Philadelphia? Or, hey, is mm-hmm. anybody in whatever? So, as I've said before, I'm hoping we're taking the happy hour on the road in the near future, and we'll be coming to your community. But you, every single person that's listening to this, obviously, you've taken the first step to reach out and to find somebody else that's walking walking the walk. Um, start your own support group. Mm-hmm. Or start that happy hour, or a coffee, a breakfast group, or hiking, or working out, whatever that means, because the the power is in the number, you know, bringing people together. Absolutely, absolutely, because we aren't alone, and we don't have to be alone. And I know that I I can only speak from the parents' aspect, but I know there are a lot of parents out there that feel really alone, Mm -hmm. that are depressed, that don't know what to do, that are crying themselves to sleep at night, and. I even encourage you step out from behind the computer and have that human interaction, Mm -hmm. get involved with people in your community, maybe just find one person that just understands what you're going through as a parent and connect, try to connect with them. It's, I I love the fact that, you know, one of my first friends with a child with type one diabetes, we would laugh and we'd be talking about stuff and about our kids' highs and lows. And then we were like, one day we're like, oh my gosh, we're sitting here at the zoo talking about our kids being high. People probably think we're nuts, but (laughs) Only she and I got that. There probably wasn't another parent at the zoo that got that, but I loved it. And just to have that person that you can call up and say, gosh, I'm just having a bad day. I just want to cry. Or you know what? For the first time, my son didn't cry when we put his you know, pump side on. Mm-hmm. Just to have that person to talk to, I think is incredibly important. I think one of the videos that you put out a couple of years back that was uh-huh. of Tanner getting... What was it? What was it? It was, we were doing, we were just doing a site change. Um, it was his, um, ping, his animus ping. And, um, really what's frustrating is here we are. He, um, is five. He's had diabetes for four, almost four and a half years, I guess you say. And every single site change, he cries if he's awake, we have to do it at night. And you, he doesn't feel it. 
at night, he will just go uh, at night and kind of make like a funny little noise. Every now and then he'll wake up and just cry. But if we do it during the day, he has so much anxiety about the diet, about yeah. what we have to do that his whole body tenses up. And the psychologists have said that when you start tensing up and having anxiety, the pain is, you know, exponentially higher. When your mind is a lot. Yes. Is 98% of it. Speaking for, I mean, mm-hmm. like I, that's why I've never done until the Dexcom anything. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. it was the fear factor more than the pain. Yeah, absolutely. So um, if he does have a um, sight fail during the day, it takes two people to help hold him down to get a sight on him. In fact, if it fails at school, he has to leave school for the day. Man, so, that's tough. It is. It, it is tough, you know. And you know, and we we're a family. We don't like we def we find humor in everything. And that's the one thing that every three days or less that we just, we still can't find humor in. We're just like, geez, here we go again. But you know, we, we laugh at everything. Else, now, are so. you the only two? I mean, well, I guess, I guess people at your school, but do you have any other family members that help with the site changes? Um, not really. Um, my mom will do site changes if she has them. And then my um, sister-in-law, Anne, is a nurse, and she will do site changes if she is, is around them. But primarily, it's just my husband and I that do the site changes. So That's a, mm, you know, a large he, burden. Yeah, well, and he, he's just spoiled rotten because we've just bribed the heck out of him. So we've, we've, we've turned this whole site change thing into a monster. But, um, you know, what can you do? He's five. You know, he's five. He's never, he doesn't have a day in his memory that's not without diabetes. So Well, and we all, oh, I man. feel like most of us with, with the disease, I mean, as I've said this on previous shows, uh, my mom would take me to go shopping after I'd go to the endocrinologist. No matter what my A1C was, and I didn't even care at that point or even knew. And um, yeah, I have a shoe addiction now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we all, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. We go through a lot, and mm-hmm. if you need to have some type of reward for the, what you have to go through in order to do that, you know what? Let go of that shame and guilt and Absolutely. give that kid a lollipop or whatever the hell it takes. Ugh, Legos. Legos! Yes. Our sugar house is like stacked. It's brutal. I just step on him all the time. He never does. I do. So I did find some generic Legos that he thinks are real. So it's getting cheaper in my house <laughs> to, care, to care for him. We need to get Lego as a sponsor for your, your family. We do. I just need a Lego sponsor for life, you know? <laughs> well, and the other thing, the only, the last thing I want to say, and we're really shifting gears and it's a hard mm-hmm. one, but it's something that again, we chatted about earlier is that there is for people with type one and families of type one. And I have, plenty of family members that have type two and we've talked about this in previous shows is the love hate you are not me you are your disease is very different from me stop roping me you know wrangling me into everybody you know the diabetes and the type two and the the obesity and all these things and uh, i'm going to say how uneducated all of us are and so um yeah, what are your thoughts on type 2 versus the type 1 community right now? You know, it's really interesting because when my kids were first diagnosed, I would get hot about it. Yeah. And so frustrated. But then something changed into me and I started realizing, like, you know what? Who am I to judge their struggle? Yeah. It's not fair. Just because my kid's struggle is one way, it doesn't mean that another person's struggle is any less. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I started looking at it from a different perspective and really started researching and, and looking at things. I'm like, you know what, you know, we as type ones in this type one community. And I say we, because I'm part of the community, not yeah. because I have type one, but we judge type twos. Uh, absolutely. Oh, 
it's because they're fat. It's because they do this. It's because they eat cheeseburgers. It's because they eat regular mm-hmm. so drink regular soda. But you know what? If you actually research, a lot of it is a genetic. Mm-hmm. There is a strong genetic component to it. You know, if if it were only obesity, every ob- obese person would have type one. If it were only obesity, why do a lot of very fit people have it? My brother, one of my older brother, was di- just recently diagnosed with type two diabetes. He's insanely fit. He could lift a car. It's incredible, and he has type one, type two, excuse me, type two diabetes. Uh, my grandfather has type two diabetes. He's been fit his whole entire life. The man doesn't have an ounce of fat on his body. So I just think that's you know. I don't know. Like I, I just think we need to be more open to the type two com- community and embrace them. Mm-hmm. Um, even from a standpoint from you know the numbers, there are more you know exponentially more type two diabetics in the U.S. It's like they're eighty four, eighty six percent of the diabetes community. Absolutely. And what where we benefit as the type one community is since we have bigger mon- bigger. Um, since we have a larger amount of, since we have larger numbers with the type two community included in us, we get more money for research. And researchers have been saying, if we can cure one of the types, we will be able to cure the other type. But let's so, be honest. I, I mean, in my mind, and I am not in the medical mm-hmm. world at all, mm-hmm. they're going to find, a, I'm not going to, I don't know if the cure is the word, mm-hmm. well, you a know, different treatment for type mm-hmm. one before the type two, because type two right now is so complicated with, mm-hmm how many different levels and the fact that you have the person that's incredibly fit that still gets the disease mm-hmm. where we kind of know where for the most part ours is kind of coming from some i guess I you guess. Would say, you know you know we actually you know we we have hypothesized right um triggers for it we still don't completely know we mm-hmm. know that it's polygenetic and polygenetic meaning that so my husband mac and i our um genetics had to line up just right to have two kids with type 1 diabetes so um, we know that about it. Uh-huh. You won the lottery. We did. We won the lottery. We're just, we're pretty excited about that. <laughs> it's been awesome. <laughs> but um, so we know that there's a strong genetic factor. We also know that there are, you know, you know, upper respiratory, mm-hmm. you know, issues that have, that will trigger type one. Um, so we so know crazy. the triggers. So we don't totally know where it comes from, but w- what I see where we benefit from it is, we benefit from the money that goes into research, and then we have the technology that comes out to help mm-hmm. better us, to help help maybe make management of the disease better. Well, we're getting approved for these devices before the type 2 community. And there's a approved. race. There's a race right now in the market. Absolutely. Which works to our advantage, which is great. And with all the advocacy mm-hmm. and the FDA, thank you, Jesus, or mm-hmm. whomever, that things are getting approved yeah. a little bit faster Absolutely. because of people pressing them. Yeah, actually, Dr. Aaron Kowalski was a very, I don't know how to explain this, but, but he was instrumental in getting the first artificial pancreas approved seven years ahead of schedule. So you approve one ahead of schedule. That's why we have, we have more models that are going to be coming out in 2019 because we were able to get that one model approved. Well, they're Mm. approved for type ones, but they're not approved for type twos. Right. So they'll be further um, down the road because they're really starting, they're trying to better understand the disease. Yeah, they are. They are. Um, I think, I think it's all about, you know, going back to finding your voice and using your voice and, and, and educating people, you know, type two is a metabolic disorder. Mm -hmm. Type one's an autoimmune disorder. You know, we, I think there's a lot more that I could learn about that as well, because as you said, like when your kids are newly diagnosed in the early years, like 
as somebody who's always lived with type one, I remember telling my dad, I'll kick your ass if you get type two mm-hmm. or don't ask me for any help because you put yourself in this position. Well, that's not fair. Mm-hmm. And, um, like you said, we are all suffering from something that nobody wants to have and let's embrace each other and work as a team. Exactly. I mean, think about when, I mean, I know there probably are a lot of you out there that are, that have been told at one point, Oh, it's because your parents gave you sugar or because you drank milk or you weren't breastfed. Think about how that makes you feel. Then think about how the type two community where they are the butt of every single joke. Really? I mean, it's just, they are, I mean, it's, oh, you are fat, you eat cheeseburgers, you this, you that. I mean, and, and that kind of shame prevents a lot of people with type two from getting help because oh, they yeah. are shamed away from medical care. They are embarrassed to walk into a gym where I think if we actually would embrace it, we could tackle the problem. Um, a little bit differently. Absolutely. And in more positive light. And I will say this was going to be another announcement, but this happened organically is that. So as my position as associate director at healthy living, OKC, which is the first maps three adult wellness center here in Oklahoma city, um, a wonderful, you know, i deal with people age 50 and beyond. And according to the ADA and other research, 80% of the people in the building, 4,400 members either have type two or are pre-diabetes. And so right now I'm working on a number of grants and we're going to start bringing on some of those members um, for the podcast, hopefully, if all goes well, to share their story. Because when I walk down the hallway and see somebody about to eat lunch and I happen to be like, wait a second, that's a tester. Okay, I'm going to walk by, I'm not going to say anything. And then I come back and they've got an insulin pen. So they're having to shoot up before they eat. And I'm like, what are- what, are you, what insulin are you taking? So we have a conversation and I'm like, when were you diagnosed? How were you diagnosed? We know, and all these things. And it's like, to me, you sound type one because of all the things that you're on or you have the person that has been put on a medication and no instruction. I'm like, you know that you, there's so many other things out there or I'm telling them about the, some of the other new devices that have been recently approved. I'm not going to plug anybody, but there are better management options or the person that says, I'm not going to test my blood sugar because my fingertips hurt or I'm 87 and I don't give a damn. I'm going to eat that cookie. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, well, I can't say this to you, but you're digging a grave with a spoon. Mm-hmm. So can we talk about that cookie or can we talk about other options? And it's like <sighs> the baby boomers that are out there, we need to tap into them in my mind so that quality of life long-term is better and man, they need a lot of help. Yeah. And even just from the financial aspect of what it costs yes. our country and our states individually, it, it's just it, the, the costs are astronomical. Um, and just better um, to be have better education out there and to be more supportive. In fact, um, a great example of this is... Um, Another aspect of the special diabetes program is a special as the SDPI, which is a special diabetes programs for Indians. So it's money that goes, it's 150 million that goes to um, native American tribes Mm -hmm. all across the U S for the treatment and prevention of type two diabetes. And you're tribal. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yes, so we are. Can, yes, yeah. yes. Speak very, this. very thankful for that. Yeah. So, um, one of the most exciting things is the fact that um, you know, in stage um, renal disease, yeah. which is in stage, or excuse me, in stage kidney failure, mm-hmm. it costs about a, almost a hundred thousand dollars a year because of to treat that because of dialysis. Yeah. Yes, since the SDPI has 
been in place, end-stage renal disease has gone down by 54% That's in the incredible. Native American community. So in Oklahoma alone, we are saving $120 million a year because of how though that drop in end-stage People kidney failure. People listen up. This is what advocacy is about. Like that is huge. Absolutely. And quality of life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, A1Cs have gone down a full point in the Native American community. And every point you go down, it decreases by like 30%, you know, the issue, you know, long-term, you know, effects on your heart and other parts of your cardiovascular system. Yeah. Yeah. It's just incredible. It just goes to Because there are so many tribes that are represented here in Oklahoma. How what, how what or how many tribes or is it just one tribe that we're talking about? No, or? all of our tribes in Oklahoma receive money money wow. from this um, program. So that's, that's incredible. Yeah, it is. It's absolutely incredible, and it just goes to show you we have this one concentrated area that's getting money for the education and prevention, mm-hmm. and what it is doing to their health. If we could figure out a way to replicate that across the board to bring in other communities, I think it would just be incredible. I mean, I was speaking to um, actually um, Steve Russell. He's our one of our representatives in Oklahoma, and um, his health aide. She was talking about, you know, well, you know, gosh, we were talking about, like, could you imagine in the in the African American community, what would it do for mm-hmm. their community? Mm-hmm. Because they have a very high instance of type two diabetes, and it's on the rise. So it's like, how can we duplicate that? And if we can't get the federal government to duplicate that, what can we do to help educate and not shame and change the views on type two? Man, there's a lot. So, and I'm glad that this conversation happened this way because um, the announcement is we are really going to be tapping into the type two community. Um, The podcast will happen um, after the transition actually happens a lot more frequently, um, we'll be sure to label, you know, I mean, anybody with diabetes, I feel like can benefit from any of our podcasts, but we'll, you know, some may be more specific and we'll have guests that are going to be talking about one or the other. And they're going to be the real people. Every once in a while, we'll bring in somebody that's a, a professional that, or somebody from the medical community that can talk to those points. And we're going to have sponsors. I think one of the things that I regret, um, and I don't like that word. Let me think about that differently. I forgive myself for in most of my adult life is hating the pharmaceutical companies um, because I thought that they were robbing me blind. And, you know, I mean, I do pay a lot for this disease. There's no doubt but they give me what I need to live. And um, I get the opportunity every day and I now write on my insulin bottles, thank you, instead of what I wanted to say was fuck you. So now that's explicit. Um, But just being thankful for those things. And I hope with the advocacy that's currently in place and people like Trish Winters that's sitting here, um, we will watch all of that change. We'll work together as a team. Absolutely. And, you know, also, I think, you know, for years, it's been biological cure, biological cure. Yeah. It may end up being a technological cure, Mm -hmm. and it may not be pieces of technology that are right for you, but we have to keep the greatest amount of people as healthy as possible so they we can all get to the end goal. Mm -hmm. So, you know, AP, the artificial pancreas might not be for you. But if it's saving someone's life out there so that they can reach that biological cure, it's incredibly important. Well, and I said to my sister, the one that with the, with the two boys, I was like, you know what? As someone who doesn't have children, let me be your trial. 
Absolutely. So I, I mean, just goes back to, so no other parent has to receive this diagnosis that has to watch their kid lay in an ICU because they're in DKA. This is what it's all about. This is what it's all about. And so I want to end with, because you have been so such an advocate, as, if you're a parent listening to this or somebody with diabetes and you don't know how to get involved, what would you say or a couple of different channels? You know, first off, find me on Facebook. Um, how do they? That my name is Trish Winters. It's <laughs> T-R-I-S-H-W-I-N-T-E-R-S. And we'll link this in the show notes as well. I um, talk to parents and grandparents all over the country, and I value those relationships. In fact, I um, a great relationship that I, I just, I love you know, following their family is a family that I met through the first podcast that we did there in Portland, <laughs> Oregon. And they have two twins with type one. And, yeah. um, so I think that, I think, um, you know, I read that email today. Oh, Carrie. The, yes. Carrie. Yep. Carrie, if you're listening, just know yeah. we haven't forgotten you. No, not at all. I, we follow each other on Facebook and I swear sometime I will get to the friends for life convention. In We're July going, so we can meet. We're going. I want to go. <laughs> Somebody reach out and sponsor yes. us by <laughs> God. Do. We're going to figure out a Please way for do. us all to go. Absolutely. So I'd say that I would say, you know, um, Get it. Try, try to find. Um, you know, you could find. You go through the JDRF. You could go through. You know, American Diabetes Association. Um, talk to your endocrinologist. Say, you know, I really need someone. To, you know, do. Do you know of any other families out there? Do you know anybody with type one that would be willing to talk to me? Or can I put up a flyer? Or can I put up a flyer? Yeah. I mean, I'd like to meet more people. One of the most incredible things that happened in Oklahoma City was just a couple parents that said that we want a, a play group for our kids. Do you know this play group now has like 50 kids that are involved in this play group? And it started all because two sets of parents just needed someone to rely on. Man, and it's powerful. It is. It's amazing. So, and they only meet once a month. And I know that. I mean, but you know, they are a support team. They are, and it's such a positive support team. You know, you you if you have a question at three in the morning, you can ask it, and they're going to answer back. And there's not a lot of negativity because there are some Facebook pages that can get pretty negative, and and it can you know scare the heck out of you. But um, I just say, you know, just just reach out, ask people, um, message people. Don't be afraid if you see you know T one D looks like me on someone's Facebook page. Don't be afraid to friend request them. Yeah. So I mean, just just reach out. But please, if you're struggling, if you need some want to talk to if you need resources just find me this is what i'm passionate about this is what i do this is what i have dedicated my life to do it's or if you to, have a you voice know, i mean yeah. if you want to hey i'm willing to connect here's mm-hmm. some services that i can offer or experience that i have you know gone through mm-hmm. ever you know we all have such a different stories yeah i learned so much from your kids the other kids in that group, mm-hmm. the people on the diabetes online community, mm-hmm. because I was like, oh my gosh, I never thought of that. Or, hey, maybe I should reach out to them. And Yeah. And, you know, actually, um, just as a side note, the way that I met Amber and Ryan was I, um, I was at a really low point with both of my boys yeah. and I was questioning everything I was doing because I was looking at these other parents around me that brought their scales everywhere that were, that were um, you know counting everything. And I was just trying to eyeball it and trying to fit it into a lifestyle that they could grow into. And so I was, I I was very miserable as a parent. And so, um, my husband was friends with Becky, somebody named Becky and Becky was Amber's good friend growing up. And she connected us with Amber and Ryan and we went to dinner 
And just that one dinner talking to them empowered me as a parent and changed my whole perspective on how I was caring for my kids. That I wasn't, I was no longer comparing myself to the to other parents. I realized that I'm doing the best that I can do and that's okay. And that I'm going to get my kids to the finish line, that we're going to be okay. So it's so scary for us to be the people that got you to that point. Yeah, well, yeah, well <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> if the people get to know me, they'd be like, well, that kind of connect the dots. That works. <laughs> <laughs> so um, just, just one small meeting, one dinner can change, can really change you. And, you know, I've had, I have people often, um, because I'm now more vocal about the fact, cause I, it, it was a, and I'm going to give one other plug, which is so random, but is, uh, because now I'm more vocal about having diabetes. People will be like, Oh, my nephew or so-and-so was just diagnosed. Do you care if I share your contact information? And I'm like, absolutely. That's why I'm here or whatever. And I have to think about one show that my friends giggle at me for loving. It's, um, little people, big world. Oh, that is. I love the show. And what I like about it is how real they are about living with a disability. And I think why I fell in love with the show from the very beginning was that no offense to them. I'd love to talk to them about this in person. Keep my fingers crossed TLC or whatever is uh, my disability is hidden. They have to face it every day and you see it in the grocery store or whatever it comes to. And so when I first started, I felt like, man, I, I can relate. I get what you're going through, but in a different way. And I don't have to face the, the people unless they see my tattoo or see me shoot up or whatever. So kudos to them. And it's one of those reminders that for people living with a disability, which I didn't like that word before, we are all going through similar struggles. And I'm happy that all of these things are now being a little bit more on the front end so that the everyday person flipping through the channels can see what life is like for the rest of us. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, well, we've covered everything. Yeah, I wouldn't bore you guys. (laughs) (laughs) And um, Trish, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm happy to. I'm going to wrap up with saying, because things are changing, we're not going to do the traditional iTunes review and all the other things, is that um, we're thankful you're still listening. We're 54 episodes in and a lot more down the pipeline. The structure is going to be a little bit different in the next, I'd say, five episodes. You're going to hear from a very diverse group of people, whether it's experts, um, people with type two, people with type one and a half, gestational, some of the new treatments that are out, and You know, in the past, we've always said, if you want to throw a little change our way, that'd be great. And somebody brought to my attention, why hit up the people that are paying so much for this disease to give back to you? And it made me think, well, there are a lot of people in this world, companies and whatever, that could sponsor the show. And to lessen that burden so that we can keep the episodes coming and not burden the people with with the disease. And so things are going to be a little bit different. And hopefully in that too, you'll be educated about some of the new things that are on the market. We will always be genuine, honest, and real with all the guests. And we hope you keep listening and help spread the word. So I'm going to end the show by myself for the first time. Cheers to the highs and lows.
Sugar, it ain't a pager, it's a pump. 